and we evolved from hunter-gatherer to agricultural societies, mm -hmm. and all of that constricted our view of the world and narrowed it. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting that these large ideas that you're talking about are reflected in our individual psyches to this day. Which takes us to the conversation we're having today on the understanding of self. You're listening to The Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 70, We Don't Know You Anymore, The Deluded Self. I must find myself. <laughs> oh. Peter, you're beside yourself. With, I'm beside uh, myself with the, the id. It's the id of the moment. You're not yourself today, no, Peter. No, I'm not. I'm not myself today. So we're going to examine the nature of the self from various points of view to find out who the hell we are. No. Right? Yeah. Who the hell are we is the question. So we're going to examine it from a larger perspective i.e. cultural and genetic. We're going to examine the nature of the self from the point of view of psychological mapping. Mm. And we're going to look at spiritual aspects of the self, artistic renderings, and attempts to understand the nature of the psyche through art, mm -hmm. literature, movies, etc. Technology. Yeah, look at the relationship between the self and technology mm. and how has one affected the other and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it's a big rangy kind of question we're going to be playing with today. So I think I'd like to start with the Oxford Dictionary, mm. looking up the definition of self. Mm. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, it's a person's essential being that distinguishes them from others, especially considered as the object of introspection or reflexive action, mm. one's particular nature or personality, the qualities that make one individual an individual or unique. Okay. Which begs the question, is the self a thing? Mm. <laughs> Or is it an idea, not a thing at all? Something out of this world. Yeah. It, mm. At times, it feels like it, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like the self is an alien presence? And in fact, I've met people mm -hmm. who are mostly disenchanted with life, let's say, mm -hmm. and they would say, I don't think I was meant to be here. In this world. In this world. Mm -hmm. Meaning that they feel that who they are as an individual, as a self, as a psyche, feels really out of place. Mm -hmm. Disconnected. Yeah. They can't relate to all the stuff that's going on in the world. It feels wrong. It feels just askew or something. Mm -hmm. So people not only are not aware of who they are deeply as selves, as individuals, mm -hmm. or are lying to themselves about who they are. No, that's an interesting view, right? lying to themselves, because there's conscious lying and there's unconscious lying. Sure. And the whole notion of psychology mm. really emerged to answer that kind of question, to look at how the psyche can fool itself. A fairly new phenomenon, really, 150 years? Yeah, barely. Mm -hmm. Before that, psychology wasn't a thing at all. Mm -hmm. Philosophy would have been the thing. Yep. And you had people like Socrates saying, know thyself. You had Lao Tzu 
talking about knowing others as wisdom, knowing the self as enlightenment, etc. All of these people going on and on about self-knowledge. From their perspective, soul-searching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You made a really interesting point earlier today when we chatted about this. Mm. You talked about that human culture comes from really two general dynamics. So essentially, when you look at the world, there are two areas where supposedly are the origins of man. The primary one being in the middle of Africa, Ethiop mm -hmm. Ethiopia area, mm -hmm. which is primarily a desert-like environment. environment. Yeah. And then you have jungle areas like the Brazilian Amazon and many other areas throughout the world, which are predominantly rainforests jungle rainforest areas. I guess you can include India in that. Yeah, anything that's kind of tropical, subtropical, and where you have these very two distinct areas. Right. So you have these two societies or these two groups of people that come from these particular areas. And by the very geography and the conditions of the, the area that they develop in or that they evolve in, you have two very different approaches or ways of thinking based on these conditions. Right. So, for example, in a rainforest with all this biodiversity you have people who tend to be much more open to multi-gods, mm. multi-spiritual mm. aspects. Pantheism. Versus monotheism. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Whereas desert tribes, nomads, tend to be more patriarchal, more affirmed in very specific ways, uh, tend to be more restrictive. Yeah. Now, the one... one uh proviso there, I mm. just realized, and you talking about that, about mm. the desert cultures, mm -hmm. is that the ancient Egyptian culture prior to a certain point and before that right. were polytheistic. Yes. There was a certain point where it tipped over into monotheism mm. and eventually Christianity, etc., monotheistic religions took root there. Mm -hmm. But in its back, back, back origins, the entire planet was polytheistic yeah, to say, yeah. Right? there's definitely, there's not one governing rule. These are ideas based on, on research and, and thought processes. They make sense when we're discussing them. If you think about it in simple terms, layman's terms, if you think about a jungle versus a desert. Yeah, it makes sense. Right, you have two very different environments, right? It, ma it makes total sense that if you were raised in a jungle environment versus a desert environment, you would have a, a very different approach. Yeah, different worldview. Different worldview yeah. and, and you know different survival skills and so on, which would also affect the way you think. So, for example, yeah. one of the projections on that is societies who originated and developed in rainforest type of environments are much more likely not to have a gender differential. Right. Right. Men and women are treated more equally and are viewed more equally, mm -hmm. which is interesting in itself. Yep. Uh, and if you think about it, even in terms of your socioeconomic political views, it would make sense that you'd have a more liberal yeah. perspective. Yeah. Right. right. The other evolutionary moment that relates to that is when we move from being hunter-gatherers, mm -hmm. nomadic, to being agriculturalists, more sedentary. To be a hunter-gatherer was to be a fluid human being, was mm -hmm. to be a warrior, was to be connected with nature as it changed, as it moved, etc. Mm -hmm. But to settle down, as we began to do in agricultural areas, in towns, villages, cities, and eventually Western civilization. Yeah, we moved to urban centers. Yeah, meant being less dynamic in our worldview, we didn't need to be as dynamic. Mm -hmm. Or flexible. Yeah, or as flexible ways. or as connected to nature mm -hmm. as it is. So it's very interesting how we evolved from polytheism to monotheism, and we evolved from hunter-gatherer to agricultural 
societies, mm -hmm. and all of that constricted our view of the world and narrowed it. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting that these large ideas that you're talking about are reflected in our individual psyches to this day. There was a, a spiritual thinker by the name of George or G.I. Gurdjieff mm -hmm. uh, in the early part of the 20th century who talks about that the human being seems to have many eyes or egos, mm -hmm. each of which at one point or another leaps up and says, I'm the captain of the ship. Given different circumstances, that eye disappears and another eye steps up and says, I'm the eye. Mm -hmm. Depending and, on the prevailing conditions. Yeah. And because of that, and also because of the way religions have not really produced a balanced human being mm -hmm. because of the narrowness of their focuses, he was saying that we've become automatons, just responding to outer stimuli. There is no central governor Mm -hmm. that can take control and be in the world and be present, that we're mm -hmm. very reactive as a mm -hmm. result of that. Very interesting ideas. He talked about there being three types of people, people centered in their physical body, mm -hmm. people centered in their emotional body and their emotions, and people centered in their minds. And Which how makes sense. Yeah, and how we're conditioned, depending upon our circumstances, to be one or the other of mm -hmm. those three, but rarely all three in a beautiful balance. Right. Right? Right. So that's one way of mapping the psyche. That's his way. But there were, there are psychological ways, as we talked about before, where Freud would be talking about the ego and the id and the subconscious. Mm -hmm. There were spiritual scientists like Rudolf Steiner in the early 20th century who talked about the self, almost like a layer cake. He had to describe it in a layer cake style. So he would start mm -hmm. with the physical body as a form of consciousness. Peeling back the onion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the physical body is kind of imbued with life through the energy of the universe around us. Right. And he called that the etheric body or mm -hmm. the energy body. Mm -hmm. And then the self also has the astral body or the soul body, which is the emotional world. Mm -hmm. And then you have the I or the ego, which is sort of thought and higher thought. And all of those things kind of interweaving each other become the self. And then he also had said that there were higher levels as well beyond the I or the ego. Mm -hmm. If you get stuck at the I and the ego level, you're not really touching the spiritual depths of yourself or the universe. You're talking about entering an energy realm. Yeah. What he's saying is that the higher levels beyond the I or the ego mm -hmm. are higher reflections of the physical body, the energy body, and the soul body, more in the spiritual realms, if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a more complicated mapping of the self coming from that direction. Right. Now, those are all evolved ideas and experiences that we've garnered from a variety of individuals at different times. But then there's even the more practical aspects, which is our day-to-day -day life, our family of origin, all these basic factors that affect how we see ourselves. Yeah, sure. I mean, you come from an Italian background, mm -hmm. right? When someone says, where are you from? Do you say Italy or do you say Canada? <laughs> Just out of curiosity. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I usually say I was born in Italy, but raised here. Okay. So I, I kind of meld the two. I don't think I've ever said I'm Canadian or said I'm Italian. I've combined the two in some way. Right. And I do that also because I feel it's important for the other person to understand those roots. It'll give them a better feel of mm -hmm. the situation and who they're talking to, whatever. Some people would say I'm a citizen of the planet. 
Yeah. Other people would say, I'm American or I'm Jewish or whatever it is. What that means is when somebody asks you a question like that, mm -hmm. you're examining yourself and you're saying, where's my primary self living? Mm -hmm. Where is the most important part of myself? Yeah, what do I identify with first? What do I identify with? So right. it's our self-identification, which determines how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned to me earlier too, which is interesting, that we don't see ourselves as accurately as others see us. Why no, do you think that is? Well, research has shown this. And part of it is, in simple terms, because most of what happens to us on a hourly, daily basis is unconscious. Okay. Our body is constantly performing all kinds of things that we're not aware of. So, sure. for example, you're deciding whether to have coffee or tea, but your brain is affecting your, mm -hmm. your heart, your breathing. There are so many things that are going into that decision that yep. you're not even aware of. Right. What studies have shown is that other people often have a better understanding of who you are than you yourself. And I would argue that part of that is being unconscious of, mm -hmm. of all the autonomic, let's say, systems operating in us. Mm -hmm. And also that we tend to lie to ourselves a lot. <laughs> right. But your, and, but your body language and your words often don't coincide. So people who are observing you yeah. are observing what's actually happening at the moment without a connection to what you're saying or doing. Right. They're often seeing through your words to your body language, right. for example. May not even be consciously doing that. They're just aware of it because they see it. Yeah, and, and there are also people who are so adept that they can manipulate their body language to give off certain impressions. Sure. So that's what I mean by lying. We can lie to ourselves. We can also lie to the world and put a persona out at facing into the world, which yeah. is really not very authentic. Right. But there's also different kinds of lying. So, for example, I maintain that a lot of our personalities or a lot of the perception that people have of us yeah. has also been constructed over years and decades. Mm -hmm. So, for example... If the family has perceived you as the comic in the family or the serious one or, right. you know, whatever definition they give you, yep. you tend to, over time, reinforce the very things that you've been taught. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's also primal. We want to be liked mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. And so from a very young age, we do things to please others. And then those things get reinforced. Mm-hmm. And then we do them again and again, and pretty soon that's part of how we behave in the world, and we think that's who we are. Mm -hmm. And really, it's a survival mechanism. Being liked is a way to survive in the world. And for some people, that's more of a factor than others. So yeah, sure. what often happens in life is many people change not through their own volition. It's usually circumstances or something that occurs that triggers that change. Right. So as some of the psychologists that I looked into talk about the self, they talk about it as a multi-level system, mm -hmm. not simply reducible to genes or neurons, but emerging from interactions of mechanisms operating at neural, psychological, and social levels, mm -hmm. as we've just pointed out. Mm -hmm. right? And while you're talking about that, I'll bring this back to an even simpler thing, which is the physical part of the body. Yeah. Your cell structure changes completely. Seven your, years, I understand. Is it seven Every years? seven years. You actually change completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have an understanding of that, yeah. then all the ideas or the preconceived notions of you not being able to change something kind of go out the window. Sure. sure. Right? If your body can do it. Exactly. You can do it. But there's a certain level of education, uh, thought processes that go into that, 
which you have to be willing to undertake or at least explore mm -hmm. in order to get to that. Well, sure. All these self-awareness techniques and meditations are all designed mm -hmm. to get you to go beneath the surface of your habits, of your predilections, of your genetic and cultural endowments, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. We've developed some interesting, let's say, festivals for allowing the self to go beyond itself and be something other. For example, Halloween. Yep. Right? Mm. Where once a year we can be someone completely different, someone scary. Masquerade parties and masquerade balls, we love that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We are hiding behind the mask, but we're also becoming the mask. And right. In ancient Rome, in I think it was December 17th, they had a festival called Saturnalia. Right, right, where the peasants and the upper classes joined together for that specific... Yeah, and they would actually shift roles. The mm -hmm. peasants would wear the master's clothes mm -hmm. and sit at the master's table and be fed everything the master would eat. And it gave them a chance to be something completely other than who they were. And it's even more interesting when you think about the time. We're talking 2,000 years ago. Yes, your ancestors. My ancestors, <laughs> that's right. That they even had the ability to even conceive of that and put it into practice. Yes, it was a very interesting thing, mm -hmm. that the impulse was there to do that. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. Long before Freud and all these yeah, other... Yeah, these other games exactly. and psychological exercises that people have created, mm -hmm. etc. Well, there is a kind of a branch of that, and that is drugs and alcohol. Oh, uh, yes. That's what I was going to get at. Drugs and alcohol. That it's the same thing. That mm -hmm. Traditionally, taking a drug or ingesting a teacher plant, let's say, in the jungles of South America, mm -hmm. was an attempt to break the bonds that enslave us to the world as we know it, mm -hmm. to reality as we know it, so that we can experience the world in a completely different way, mm -hmm. as if we were another different self altogether. The whole exercise is to find out who I am in its mm -hmm. fullness. Who am I? So that leads me to a little exercise I'd love to do with you here, just for fun. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. And it's called the Who Are You exercise. I've done this before with other... Who in, are you exercise? In other contexts. Are okay? you pulling, you're pulling a fast one on me. I am. Oh, okay. We're gonna, you can do it to me too. Okay. I'm going to ask you the question, who are you? Okay. And I'm going to ask it a number of times. And each time you need to try to answer it as intuitively and as immediately as possible with one, mm. two, three words, no more than that, really. Okay. And each time I want a different answer to my Ooh, question. Okay. okay. So here we go. Ready? Okay. Who are you? Uh, immensely inquisitive. Who are you? Caring. Who are you? Interested. Who are you? A thinking man. Who are you? Wow. Who are you? I'm many things. It's getting trickier. I'm no <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. All right. So we'll stop yeah. there. But what's interesting is you're able to say mm -hmm. to a certain point all of these aspects of your being. You could have gone on and on. I'm, you know, right. Because you're a father. You're a brother. You're you're like you're all these things. Yeah, I was becoming right? conscious of not dragging it out too long. Yeah, sure. Right. But the the point being is when we're asked that question, if you mm -hmm. ask yourself that question. Mm -hmm. You'd have many, many, many answers to it. It isn't just one, who am I? That's very true. It's many. Mm -hmm. And for some people, they're very different at home than they are at work. They're mm -hmm. very different uh, at the bowling alley than they are on the firing range mm -hmm. or at the football game. We have all of these different selves, if you like, within us in this complicated yes. dance. Mm -hmm that appears to be a kind of integrated whole that we call a self. Box, box.
So, what's your story? I would like to join the retired actors' baseball team. Oh, you would? And I would like to know some of the guys' names on the team, so if I want to play with them, I know them, and I meet them on the street or in the home here, I can say hello to them. Oh, sure. But you know they give baseball players nowadays very peculiar names. You know, a lot of funny names. You know, like uh, Sticky Fields. Sticky Fields. Uh, Goofy Dan. Booby Bobber. Booby Bobber. I know all <laughs> 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 well, let's see. Now, we have on our team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find then, out, the guy's name. Uh, huh? That's what I want to find out, the guy's name. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you now, want to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's names? Well, I should. Well, now, you tell me the guy's names on the baseball I team. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I'm telling him. You ain't saying nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know the guy's I'll... names on the baseball team? Yes. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? What are you asking me for? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. I'm, not I'm a... asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. <laughs> That's his name. Well, you ain't said nothing. I ain't asked you nothing. You did? You know the guy's name on first base? Sure. Well, then tell me the guy's name on first base. Who? <laughs> the guy playing first base. Who is on first, Lou? What are you asking me now, for? Don't get excited. I'm saying who? I'm asking you a simple question. Who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? <laughs> I'm asking you, what's the guy's name on first oh, base? Oh, no, what's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Fox, <laughs> Fox. If you had to talk about technology's relationship to the self in general, what would you say about it? I would say that technology has removed some things and added some things. So let me explain what I'm saying. A lot of people are having a lot of difficulty with the shift in our society. They see technology, for example, as this tremendous loss of things that they've held dear for many, many years or decades of their lives, and they think that something is being lost. And in some ways, it is. But it's no different than, i.e., a manufacturing job being lost to a robotic. It's a natural transition okay. that occurs because the technology allows this transition to take place. Okay, so you're saying there are other experiences that are added to the world of the self. Yes. As well as things that have been lost. But yes. let's talk about, for example, the internet, social media, the digitization of most everything on the planet. Okay. And I would argue that in many ways, in order to interact with technology, with a computer, mm -hmm. you have to speak the language of the computer. Agreed. Rather than the other way around. So in some respects, I'm subsuming my soul into the piece of technology that's in front of me or in my hands. I'm giving something of myself over to that in order to communicate through that to make something happen. So Yeah, but the thing that you're describing right now is the mechanics. In other words, a, a new way to use the tool. You have to learn certain things that you didn't know before. The language of the computer is to get you to have its basic functions. Yeah, but for you to have to speak its language, mm -hmm. to me, there's something about that that diminishes the human spirit in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So eventually yeah. what happens is our way of communicating through technology changes. The way we use language changes, yes. just as we've seen, yes. LOL, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And what happens is that our lives become bytes of information that get uploaded mm -hmm. 
to social media, to websites, to blogs, what have you. Mm -hmm. So our lives become information. Our lives become data. Binary. Yeah, binary. You could say mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one aspect of the relationship of technology to the self that we have to be thoughtful of and be careful about. I agree with that. You know, beyond all yeah. the good stuff that you're talking about. I agree with that. However... We're also that generation that's getting the crossover. It's easier for us who've had both ends to understand that. To someone being raised right now, the only way you're going to preserve some of that is for those of us remaining on the generation that's exiting to kind of bring that back in, create this kind of balance. How right? do you create the balance when what's given to the younger generation is what's given to it, which is, as we know, mm -hmm. social media platforms, which are there in total, already in their lives from a very young age. Mm -hmm. Unless you educate them to be aware of these things mm -hmm. and what the interaction can be doing to them as a self, as a psyche, mm -hmm. there is a danger, I would argue, that we have to be deeply aware of. I agree. Now, let's talk about artificial intelligence. Yeah. Now, what does that have to do with the nature of the self? Because it's almost as if technology is trying to get to a place, or technologists mm -hmm. are trying to create a technology that is very much like a self, that it's self-reflexive, that it learns from mm -hmm. its mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What does that imply for who we are as individuals in the future. Well, it's interesting that we're having this discussion because the biggest challenges the so-called pundits on artificial intelligence will agree on is that the biggest challenge they have is to humanize artificial intelligence, which is not about the mechanics. It's not about the technology itself. Mm -hmm. It's about how do we give it the human characteristics? How do we embody the nuance of the human being, our feelings, our emotions that go into making decisions. We don't make decisions just based on facts and science. We have many other factors to consider. Yeah. So that's the danger. And that's the fear also that a lot of people have with artificial intelligence, because sometimes it's only emotion or reflection that makes the difference between a total disaster and a very positive outcome. Sure, and the dynamics mm -hmm. among all of these systems that operate in the human being, from the physical and the emotional and the spiritual, all that stuff, the social, mm -hmm. that's a complex dance. It's not like it's a simple mechanism that you can right. uh, recreate mm -hmm. technologically. It's a major, major challenge. Yes. And our culture, our arts reflect that desire to mm -hmm. understand and explore the nature of the self. One of the classic films of the 1950s was The Three Faces of Eve. Yeah, 1957, uh, 50, I think. 57. Yeah. It was based upon a book by uh, psychiatrists uh, Corbett Thigpen and Harvey Cleckley, mm. based upon an actual psychiatric case. Good movie. Uh, well, Joanne, yeah. Joanne Woodward. Joanne Woodward yeah. started, she won the Oscar for that mm -hmm. movie, and she played three roles in it in one. She played Eve White, Eve Black, and Jane. It was a brilliant performance. Mm -hmm. um, but three it, very distinct personalities. Yeah, and it was one of the earliest sort of uh, diagnosed multiple personality mm -hmm. disorders. I wouldn't say it's one of the earliest because Freud would have come across that as well. Yeah, where but, it was commercially presented. Yeah, where people at large began to mm -hmm. go, oh, there is this phenomena mm -hmm. of multiple personality. Mm -hmm. Wow. And there have been others since of like 16 personalities in one mm -hmm. person and that sort of thing. So when you wake up in the morning, how do you know you're you? 
I pinch myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we have to recall ourselves to ourselves every morning when we wake up. Otherwise, mm. how would we live our lives? Mm-hmm. We have to kind of piece ourselves back together every morning and then go out into the world thinking, oh yeah, I'm who I am, right? Mm. I think that's really interesting. Who am I? What do I stand for? What am I going to do? And am I one or am I many? And that will fundamentally change everything. Everything. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.